Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today we're going to be talking about tapping into your inner voice as I am joined by author Eric Lindberg. He is the author of the book, Your Brilliant Inner Whisper. And so we're going to be talking about how your inner voice is your greatest asset and how to tap into its brilliance. So, Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. I really am looking forward to this, Curtis. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, let's start with uh, what I feel the inner voice is and other authors like Neil Donald Walsh. It's a voiceless voice or a feeling with words around it. A voiceless voice, a feeling with words around it. Now, you might get it as a hunch, as a gut feeling, as an insight, but there's always an energy, a pull, a nudge. There's energy around it. Like if you resonate with something, you know, that's pulling you, if you're walking down the sidewalk and saw a shirt in a window, and, you're th- and it just you can feel that you're resonating with it. And it's not that you have to buy it, but you have to walk towards it. You have to honor that nudge. And I coach people in and out of the United States. I, as he said, my title of my book is Your Brilliant Inner Whisper, Discover Why Your Inner Voice is Your Greatest Asset and How to Tap Its Brilliance. So the way that you do this is to keep gaining skill with hearing it, then trusting that you heard it, and then acting on it. So, for example, uh, now, um, Curtis, I have to ask you a question because we really haven't had much to t- talk about. When you say a curveball, what do you mean by that? Because I think I have a story to use with that. So, could you explain the curveball part of this? Yep. I have been a hip-hop artist for many years, and this is a name that my friend gave me back when we were in eighth grade. So I knew that there's a famous rapper named 50 Cent that has Curtis Jackson, so didn't really want to use that, so I I just decided to go with my hip-hop name on my show. I see. Well, so... This story is maybe the first time that I really felt my inner voice, though. I, first of all, I grew up in a ranch in Montana, and um, maybe we'll go with this. So I had um, competed in a high level with horses, and I was riding a green colt, a three-year-old colt that we'd bought. And when we bought this horse at the sale, people said we bought a horse of a lifetime. So I was out in the hills alone on this green colt. I'd been riding about three months. And this storm comes up, this rainstorm. And I knew that I couldn't backtrack the 45 minutes to get around and cross this very steep bank creek. So I'm trotting along this creek as fast as I can, looking for a place to cross. And there's nothing. It's just these steep banks. And I was about 14 years old. And... 
up come from inside me comes this knowing that this is the only horse I've ever ridden that could make this jump. And so that you go to that knowing and each story, I have 27 chapters in my book and each story has a personal, each chapter has a personal story from my life of what that was like. So I talk, explain what happened with the horse that day. So that's before I had a name for inner voice at 14. But then my sophomore winter quarter at college, three days after I had paid my fees with my father's money, I'm heading to class at 9.45 in the morning. And this burst of energy inside of me, by the way, your inner voice is below the neck and above the waist. Anything above the neck is your thinking mind. So anyway, I have this burst that happens and up through me comes this feeling with the thought that I'm supposed to quit my classes and ski for the rest of the quarter. Now, I don't know about your parents, but mine would not be thrilled with that. And here I am at 19 and I am being nudged or pulled to everything I've been you know, trained to do, follow the rules, you know, even throw, I'm, my thinking mind's thinking I'm throwing away this money. So in your case, Kurt, is what I would think, and I know you gave me your examples, but I think you're doing a very important thing with even your title of, you know, curveball or whatever. So here I'm at sophomore year of college being nudged to go ski and quit my classes and not tell my father. So I did. And that was the first fork in the road of me honoring the pull inside over the scary outer appearances. The following year, just as you, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of your pull of your inner voice. And everyone listening today are being nudged every day. There's an energy. And as you gain skill with hearing it, trusting it, and acting on it, these bigger things come in. So the following year, I went to a private Catholic college because they were ranked very high in getting into med school and getting numbers of students into med school. And the man that ran that was very scary to most people. He was very stern. And he made, you know, his department a big success by getting these large numbers of his classes into med school. So... One day, halfway through the quarter, I had to go to his office. And I'm walking as I'm just getting close to knocking on the door. Um, I can feel coming up through me this feeling and thought inside of me that I'm to ask him to lunch. And that just like scared the heck out of me. Like, oh, no, that's not a good idea. So I go in there and we get the deal with my test and the paper and everything. And then this thing, my inner voice wouldn't let me alone. And so I said, Dr. Mannion, would you, would you like to go to lunch? And he looks at me like I'd shot off one of his toes or something. And then a little bit later, there's a crack on each side of his mouth with a kind of a start of a smile. And he said, nobody's ever had the guts to ask me to lunch. I'd love to. So for three months, once a month, for three months, we went to lunch and I got to ask every question from inside me that I would have never gotten to do by sitting in class, just sitting in class. 
And at the end of it, I said to him, you know, I don't want to go on and be a doctor and earn every dollar. I want to own a business, a, you know, own a business. I want to own a restaurant. And he said, I think that's great. Just because somebody's the first one with chicken soup to somebody that's sick doesn't make mean they'll make a great doctor. So here's the second fork in my life path. That first one was, you know, instead of going to class, I was pulled to ski all quarter. And now I'm pulled by this man, by getting access, by trusting my inner voice to ask him to lunch. It was the next fork pulling me forward towards more of the man that I came here to be. Does that help, Curtis? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Tell us what got you started in writing. In writing? Yes, what feels okay, writing well to be an author. I was um so just to quickly jump over things. So my father backed me in a restaurant, and that was my inner voice that convinced him. And then six years later, I was bored with it. I was bored on the inside. I had a great lifestyle, I worked my lunches with my staff, and then I skied every afternoon. But inside of me was so bored. It what I thought I wanted, the pull was not fulfilling inside me. So, um, but I was pulled to have this restaurant to activate the entrepreneur in me. So from there, I went to New York City and to, to uh, pursue singing jingles, TV commercials. I had a really good pop voice. But I hated the pressure of the recording studio. And so I ha had to earn some money because I was having, working with four singing coaches and I started working for the best caterer in New York City and seeing all these amazing home you know, apartments and homes and, you know, uh, famous people. And pretty soon my inner voice started pulling me to have my own clients. So at the time with the writing, I was in my mid 50s. And for two years, my inner voice nudged me to take a writing class. And I hated even having to write a thank you note. So I'm thinking, oh, heck. I was thinking, oh, hell, I don't want to do that and have 10 weeks of assignments. So finally, after two years, I honored that nudge and started it. And it's where um, my calling had arrived what I came here to do, because I had all these stories of how I trusted myself inside and then the journey of that. But like it, even my catering business, this boutique catering business for the rich and famous, I met Nora Ephron, who, you know, directed Sleepless in Seattle, wrote it too. Um, when you've got mail, uh, when Harry met Sally. Well, I met her at Steve Martin's apartment. And all of these things came together. Uh, that, and I want to go back to something. So when I quit my classes and skied all winter, everything was in place. You don't ever think that when you trust your inner voice, it's a day at a time or a step at a time. But everything was in place for me to quit. And the only thing was the scary appearance of my dad being mad and kicking my ass. So... In college, this was a ski, uh, the skiel was 16 miles away. They gave a great price for a season pass if you're a college student. And I had a car with a gas credit card and I was living in the dorm. So there was no big stretch. 
of not being able to do it. It was just the fear. My inner voice brought me a two-bedroom apartment, one block from Central Park on the Upper West Side of New York City, the, my favorite area of the city, by just trusting it. And that story is in the first chapter of my book. And it's probably the scariest thing I ever went through. But remember, your inner voice is going to pull you through those scary outer appearances, like, how will that happen? Or, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, whatever. Um, so the writing was resisted for two years, and then I did it. And I had never prepared to be a writer or uh, planned to be a writer. And it was really the book that's out there today, the black covered book, is took me a journey of 15 years of growth. And then this book, I now have a big deal editor, and she read my first one with all the mistakes because I let somebody edit it, never saw the work they'd done. So anyway, um, does that answer your question, Curtis? Like, It absolutely does. And let's talk about what kind of writer you are? Do you do fiction or what kind of writer? My, strictly stories from my life. I mean, but, but the thing is what I've trusted, like during COVID. So I had written the first, the first book and self-published it. And a friend of mine who was a lawyer, but wasn't practicing said, you know, I'd really like the experience to edit it for you. And he was gone a lot, and it was getting to be a deadline where I was getting ready to leave New York City after 26 years. And I said, we got to get that in there. Just, just go ahead, and once you're done editing, you know, just put it up on Amazon as a self-published. Well, there were so many mistakes. But I'm not blaming him. You know, I look at there's always reason on this. So... I started across the country and spoke at different places. And I have this book with all this, these mistakes in it. And then when COVID hit, um, I knew the book wasn't finished. So today, um, the book has, I tell about, in, after each story, each personal story, then I have a famous person that I list, like all the people that are really feel the inner voice is important from Oprah. You know, Oprah feels it's the most important thing of all. Um, Malcolm Forbes, um, Glenn Close. Uh, who was the, uh, the woman that was, um, oh, I'll think of it in judgment. Any, anyway, um, Steve Jobs. There are all these. So then I, I listed in each chapter a famous person that really felt their inner voice led them to their success. And then I wrote what I went through. And that, so at the end of explaining what I had to go through, the scary parts, the parts that I couldn't imagine how it would ever work out, I broke that down afterwards. So I added that all during COVID. And then, you know, I got, as I say, I got a big deal editor after she read my first one. So I needed to write the one with all the mistakes. Um, but, um, I don't read, did I go off on a tangent too much? What was the original question? No, you're good. You answered it just perfect. So the next okay. question I have for you is, 
give listeners tips on how to become aware of their inner voice, how to hear and trust their inner voice? Okay, so when I start a client, uh, the first month or two, well, and it goes longer than that, I have them write down each day, each of the nudges that they're feeling or the pulls or whatever. There's always an energy. Just like when I say, if you walk by a shirt and you resonate with that. So every time you do that, I have them write it down on a sheet of paper. So they get used to that feeling of what a nudge is or an inner, you know, an insight or a gut feeling, you know, and they write it down. And that's where you start to see how often you're being nudged towards something. And I feel, see, as you start walking in the direction of these nudges, you don't have to buy, buy the shirt, but you need to walk towards it. And those are the road signs forward. So just look at, remember where I said, okay, so I'm going to college three days in and I'm pulled to go ski. That was so huge for me to be the only one. Nobody else on my floor was doing, nobody else was heading towards a ski hill. Nobody else threw away the money, which I didn't, but at that point I thought I was, to trust this thing inside more than the outer appearances. So, and then when I, you know, did not go on in pre-med and went that route, every pull, you know, the more you, you start with the little stuff and you get used to hearing something, well, I should call Joe today. Well, write down that you're supposed to call Joe today. You might not know why you're calling Joe, but there's a pull to give him a call. And then... So if you're nudged to do something, then trusting yourself that you really feel you were nudged and following through with that feeling, I was nudged. I wrote it down on my sheet and then taking the action. That's where you start. Uh, I, I don't want to keep saying my book, my book, my book. But in that, after each story, I asked the reader, something about their life tied to that chapter. So you're being activated to remember stories that you might not even known when you were listening to your inner voice. And today after reading, they think, oh man, when I was 12, I did that. Because you're, we're all acting on insight and different things. But to make the choice to go below the neck continually instead of the outer appearances, is the truest way to step into who you came to be in this lifetime. Or tell listeners where they can go to pick up your book. Well, my book is on Amazon. Um, there's two books. The first one has a green and blue cover, and it's just say, yes, that's not the book. That was the book with all the mistakes. But the book today is a black-covered book, and it's Your Brilliant Inner Whisper. And another thing, my name is Eric Lindberg, but Eric has no I in it. It's E-R-E-C, two E's, Eric Lindberg, two E's. So it's on Amazon. You can go get it there. And, uh, you know, if you, you, if you read it and you want to reach out and ask me a question, do it. If there's something they will, you know, this is happening. Um, so after I took my book across the United States, I had been in New York 
too long and I, uh, I wanted a dog for eight years. And I, or when I sent my deposit to get that dog, I had to move out of my apartment because they didn't allow pets. So I never made it to California. I made it to uh, Medford, Oregon, because I had a really good friend here. And this is where I ended up staying. Well, you um, let the listeners know where to pick up your book. So tell us about any upcoming oh, projects. Okay, so, um, you know, I didn't know what to do with my book after I'd written it with all those mistakes. So, you know, I taught some classes and did some of that. So really, I hid for two years and wrote a second book. And so what I show in that second book over a three-year period that everything is connected. When you're honoring the pull within you, everything is connected. And for instance, I was in my restaurant and some other business owners came in to eat lunch. And they said, I said to them, you know, I really want to learn to sail. And they said, oh, we know, we have a friend, he's got a ranch out there, he's from the east, he's got a big sailboat. So a week later, I'm getting to crew all summer on his boat. And the next year, I drove across the United States to go to sailing school on Martha's Vineyard. Well, in that three-year period, from saying I want to sail, to three years later, I'm in New York City for four, four nights from Montana watching Broadway plays, and I had watched a lot of singers uh, in the East. So I said, where can I see cabaret? And she said, they told me a place at a club on the uh, west side. So I called there and they said, we have one seat left to this amazing singer, one seat left. So by sailing, so I'm sitting in that, like, it's at 11 o'clock, so I'm able to go to the Broadway show. I sit halfway back with my back to the wall in a darkened room and the singer comes on. I'd seen her that summer that I went to sailing school because then I rented a house for the rest of the, for the summer. And she was magical. But about a third of the way through the show, she's called out to me halfway back. She didn't do it to anybody else. And she said, where did you get that tan? And my brother was in Alaska. So we'd go to Mexico every Christmas so he could have some sunlight. And it turns out the only, so on the plane back to Montana, I thought, you know, I've got this voice and had all this. Why don't I do a benefit to raise money for the arts? Well, the thing got so big that um, I called this club and I said, where is that woman? You know, and got her name. And she said, they finally caught up with her. And I said, would, if I flew to New York, would you put a show together for me? Told her how about it. And she says, well, send a tape and send a photo. She called me back and she says, I know who you are. You're the guy with the tan. In the, the run of her show, the only night she videoed the show was the night that I was there. So when you see this divine turn of events that, so at Steve Martin's apartment, Nora Ephron comes up to me and then became my client for 12 years and opened Hollywood to me, that your inner voice is going to take you forward on the truest path the more you, you know, hear it, trust it, and act on it. So I know the question was, where can I get it? But there's many stories to activate your inner voice. And there's questions to activate today. If you're on this call or you hear this, 
if you resonate with it, trust yourself and keep seeing where that leads. So what's coming up from Eric Lindbergh? What can, what can we expect upcoming projects from you? <laughs> Why did you have to ask that question? <laughs> I think I have to uh, publish my second book. I mean, it's a big, it's a big job to write a book. And I have always felt, um, you know, you're helping me, Curtis, with these podcasts. I just started doing this about three weeks ago. And I've been busy with other projects since the winter. Um, so there, I hadn't really, other than right after the book went on Amazon, I bought all the equipment to do a podcast, but I hadn't had a time until three weeks ago. So I think it's going to lead, oh, this show, your question really shows. So to, to listen to your inner voice and act on it, you have to be willing to work in the unknown. Okay, did I hear that? Did I really hear what I think inside of me? You know, and trust that and act on it. So it's always about the unknown and your future of you stepping into, Curtis, you stepping into the man you came here to be is out in front of you. And it's not thinking how to do it. In my book, I share the most embarrassing moment of my life when I didn't listen to my inner voice. And I let my thinking mind go because I had all the connections. And it just blew up. In fact, for three or four years afterwards, the hair would stand up on the back of the, my neck every time I thought about that embarrassing moment. So your way forward and is working and exploring the, you know, um, that place that you have, it's the last frontier in you. And if things aren't working or, you know, you're not honoring those pulls, there's probably a lot more struggle uh, with your life of creating things and, you know, following through with things um, because you're using your thinking mind to look at the outer appearances. Okay. Throw out your contact information and give us some final thoughts. Throw out. So my name is Eric Lindbergh, as I say, with two E's, E-R-E-C. And Lindbergh is L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G. And my book is Your Brilliant Inner Whisper. It's on Amazon. My website, well, by the time this comes out, my new website will be up. It could be up in the next day or two. And I think that you're at a fork in the road as you listen to Curtis, what he's bringing you and the work he's doing. You know, me as a guest or the different guests that you listen to. From now on, if you resonate with something, walk towards it. As far as you, until you feel, you know, the end. Um, and don't be afraid if you think you can't afford it. I had, um, but so I was, went back into Montana, back to Montana to stay, uh, see my brother and his family at Christmas, going into the millennium, the year 2000. And I was going to uh, go see a friend after that to go to a very fancy bl uh, black tie dinner up in Big Sky, Montana. And it was 180 miles. So my friend had invited me. She was going to drive halfway. And another friend I grew up with, called and she says, I want to drive you. I've had a chance to see you. 
So we're driving that first, that first leg of 90 miles, and she starts talking about this afternoon of them riding their cutting horses, working cattle on this beautiful hillside overlooking the Rocky Mountains. And as she's telling this, it feels like somebody's taking a, a finger right to my chest, like they're pointing at, you know, when somebody goes, oh, listen, mister, you know. And it was like, oh, my heavens, this is real you know, this energy is real strong. So I get into the next car and my friend owned a Sotheby's affiliate real estate company. And I tell her what happened. She says, oh my gosh, that's such an interesting property. They, they thought my clients would be right for it. So it's really something. And I said, well, something's going on with this property. And she said, well, I'll drive you there. And I was snippy with her. It was 10 below zero. I'd been 40 miles away from this property when I was staying with my brother and now with her, where we were going, it'd be a 200 mile trip each direction. And I said, you know, I pointed that out. She says, well, that's okay. Whatever. If you want to go, I'll take you. Two days later, we're standing in this train station uh, that was built, uh, that was built in 1912 and a Western artist had bought it and moved it into this hillside overlooking the Rockies and down the hill, he had his painting studio and box stalls for his horses and everything. And as I was walking around, oh, he didn't finish inside the, sta uh, the station other than, you know, put electricity and hook up water, but it was a war zone. There were holes in the walls where they put in the electrical. There was holes in the floor. It was everything you wanted, like a sieve with a view. And I'm walking through this and I'm feeling so cold at 10 below zero. And up through me comes my inner voice saying, it has your name on it. And so finally we got headed back and about half an hour after I'd gotten warm, I thought, has my name on? I don't have the money for the down payment for this. And of course it's one state too close to my brother, but so, 20 months later, I bought it at half the original price. And in that 20 months, they turned me down twice. Uh, you know, I sent a letter and I sent a raise the money for an offer. And um, each time they turn me down, my inner voice says, it has your name on it. You will know what you're being pulled to the farther you follow it. And I bought it half the original price. All the money came together. All everything worked, even when they said no. That's my final. <laughs> that's my final story, and I'm sticking to it. Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, EricLenberg.com. Please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode after listening. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Eric, thanks for joining Thank you, me. Curtis. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.